Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from November 19th, which was Thanksgiving Sunday here. There was not a sermon last week, so if you get the podcast or you're looking online, you may have noticed there was nothing for November 12th. I had the Sunday off. It was Laity Sunday, and four of the folks from our congregation who had gone off and done mission work Uh, talked about what they had done. One talked about prison ministry, another talked about a trip to Haiti, and another one in India, and one up in rural Maine. And since our youth are planning to go on a mission trip to rural Maine next summer, we had that focus for our Laity Sunday. But that's why there was nothing last week. So you didn't miss anything. Well, you did in not going, but as far as the podcast, I didn't produce one last week. So this is November 19th. The other part of the text is the Old Testament lesson, which is Psalm 65. You'll hear me refer to that during the course of the sermon. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel, which comes from the end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are times when it seems odd to be celebrating. We're a nation at war. It's dark times. Each day we seem to hear news of new terror threats. We count up the dead of the day. And we wonder if it's even possible to talk about a solution in Iraq. And we have worries and concerns here at home, even without leaving our houses our times of sharing when we come to share our prayers and concerns can be very, very heavy sometimes. And when that's going on, it's hard to talk about giving thanks. And that's why I chose to use our national anthem this morning. It's going to be our closing hymn. I don't bring it into church in a fit of patriotic fervor. There's enough Baptist left in me to be wary about the line between church and state. And some of you have read my book that says, I don't even like having flags in churches. But yeah, here I am using the Star Spangled Banner as 
a closing hymn. But I'm using it because it's a song of thanksgiving to God that was written in a dark time, in a time of war. Normally, at sporting events and Olympics and other places, we sing only the first verse of the Star-Spangled Banner. But Francis Scott Key wrote four of them, the last of which reads, Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Our national anthem is a song of thanksgiving to God for deliverance during the War of 1812 after a bombardment at Fort McHenry, which guarded Baltimore, Maryland. The first verse, the one we sing at the opening of all those events and on other occasions, talks about the descent into darkness. As the anthem begins, night is falling, and we have one last glimpse of the flag in the twilight's last gleaming. Then comes night, a night of fear and of war and of uncertainty. Is the flag still flying? Has the fort been taken? Don't know. It's dark. Can't see the flag. But every so often, there's a sudden glimpse of the flag still flying. How is it revealed? By the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. Then it's darkness and uncertainty again. The end of the first verse is a question. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Nobody's going to know for sure until the morning comes. I want to give you that picture from our history as a picture of our lives with God. There are times of peace and of daylight when it takes no effort at all to see God waving freely in our lives. It's as obvious as the sunlight. We can count the stars and stripes on God's banner and know without a shadow of a doubt that God is in control and providing us with care, protection, and love. And it's easy at those times to be thankful. But then there were other times, even for Jesus, as I just read. Times when the enemy sneaks up the Potomac River and the day turns to twilight. We might get one more glimpse of God, and then nightfall comes, and everything's dark. Is God still there? Don't know. It's dark. Can't see. And in those times, we only get very quick glimpses of God. And we're not really sure we want those because we only get them when bombs go off. And then we're plunged into darkness again. It's a night of fear, of uncertainty, danger, even death. It's not unwarranted fear. It's real war, real pain, real death. Real bombs are bursting, and it's too dark to see what's happening to anybody else but you. And there's nothing to do but to wait it out and see if you live to see morning. Now, I want to leave Fort McHenry hanging in the balance there for a minute and jump to the end of Psalm 65, which Ken read for us. And you're going to have to trust me here for a bit that there is a connection. 
In verses 12 and 13 of that psalm, we're about as far from the pains of war as we can get. We have creation shouting and singing together for joy. Nature is singing a song of thanksgiving. Some people just see this as romanticism in poetry, giving human attributes to non-human things, and imagining something as neutral as nature doing something it's really not capable of doing. I see it as the absolute truth about what it means to be thankful. The word thanks isn't anywhere in the psalm, but the whole psalm is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving for what God has done. And when it starts talking in verse 9 about how God cares for the earth, the earth responds with thankfulness and shouts of joy. And the point I want us to get out of this is that the earth expresses its thanks to God by becoming what God created it to be. The pastures give thanks by overflowing. The meadows give thanks by feeding the flocks. The valleys produce grain. They give thanks to God by fulfilling their purpose and their place in creation. And I want to say that our own thanksgiving shouldn't be any different. It's nice to say thank you and to express our thanks in various concrete ways. But I think the truest form of thanksgiving isn't about what we say or do, excuse me, what we say or do as much as it is about what we become. When we search out the purpose for which we were created, both generally and as human beings, and individually as the gifted people, the unique people that God has called each of us to be, we're living our thankfulness. We respond to the gifts and the care of God by blossoming into our truest selves. A lot of times we shake our heads and kind of snicker at those who talk of trying to find themselves or who say they don't know who they are. Lots of insipid pop psychology and strange New Age rituals come to mind. But I think the core question of who am I, or with a theological spin, who has God created me to be, is one of the core questions that has to be answered before we can fully live a life of faith. Our truest praise and thanksgiving to God is to find that answer and with God's help to become that person. Now take that question, who has God created me to be? And let's take it back to Fort McHenry. Because I don't know of anybody who has come to grips with that question without first going through some form of that dark night of uncertainty and doubt and bombs going off. I've had many of them, but I think the darkest was the three-year-long night that followed my divorce. And the deepest night of those was my first night alone in Atlanta as I waited to start seminary. Very dear friends had come with me to move me up there, but they were on their way back home. I had no husband. I had no job. Had to give up my two dogs in order to move to a small little third-story apartment. I had to sell things that had been dear to me in order to make ends meet. The grand piano I'd inherited from my great-aunt, for whom I was named and whom I loved deeply. My French horn that had traveled with me since junior high school and propelled me to the principal chair of state bands and orchestras. I couldn't even go in the living room after they'd moved the piano out. I felt like I'd literally sold all the music out of my life. 
I knew nobody up there. Country girl in a strange city, not a great part of town. I was surrounded by boxes with nobody to help me unpack them, signing what was left of my life away to educational loans. And I spent that whole first night just sobbing on an unmade mattress. And I realized then that I had no idea who I was. All I had was a memory of the flag flying in the twilight's last gleaming, the memory that I had felt God calling me into ministry. All I had was a memory of daylight, a recollection that once I could see God clearly, and I really had a sense then that God loved me and cared for me. But it was just a memory because now it was dark, and I couldn't see God, and I couldn't see what was happening to anybody else but me. I went through the next two years of school hoping that flag was still there and only getting a glimpse of it when bombs went off. Morning did come after that night, just as it does in the second verse of our national anthem. On the shore dimly seen through the mists of the deep, where the foe's haughty host in dread silence reposes. What is that which the breeze or the towering steep, as it fitfully blows, now conceals, now discloses? Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam, in full glory reflected now shines on the stream. Tis the star-spangled banner, oh, long may it wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave. The battle for our souls the battle for who we are, is won or lost in the night. Daylight comes only to reveal what has already been accomplished. Jesus fought the battle in the night of the cross and the tomb. Easter morning merely revealed who it was that had won. The banner of God flew high on Easter morning because Jesus was willing to persist in being who he truly was even to the point of death. Jesus gave thanks by revealing the love of God, even in the darkest, most frightening circumstances. He loved the daylight, and he loved the night. And when the world realized that he was willing to go through that night with us, nothing could stay the same. As we approach Thanksgiving this week, our lives seem to beg the question, how can we give thanks to God during the night. When Thanksgiving comes in a time of darkness, how can we talk about thanking God? I think the answer is that we thank God by allowing our lives to become Thanksgiving, to become what God has created us to be, who God has called us to be as a grateful response to God's presence. But can I do that in the darkness? Yes, I think, in fact, it might be we do it most truly in the darkness. What is faith but the trust that God has provided a bridge where we can't see any? It requires very little faith to respond to God when it's daylight and God's presence is so unmistakable you can count the stars and stripes. But to respond to God in the darkness when you're not really sure whose flag is flying over the fort that's where our faith matters most. Living out my call to preach is my way of thanking God. Some days I get up to preach God's love and feel God closer than my breathing. 
Other days, I preach the goodness of God when it seems like the biggest lie I've ever told. Usually, I believe what I say. But sometimes I say things in order to help me believe them again. All of it's faith. It's just that some of it is faith in the daylight when everything is really clear. And some of it is faith in the darkness when all I can do is hope and pray that God's flag is still flying over the fort of my life. And that, to me, is thankfulness. I thank God by being what God has called me to be, even at times when it seems that God just wanted a good old joke. I will say that God is good. I will proclaim that God is love. I will entrust my life to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even in the red glare of the rockets of war. Why? Because I have seen the banner of God lifted high on a cross. The stripes were unmistakable. He went into the night for me and with me and returned in full glory on Easter morning. There is no other response for me but a life of faith that proclaims my thankfulness. Nothing else to do but the work to which God has called me. So my challenge to you is not just to remember to give thanks. It's not even to say thank you to God when you don't really feel all that thankful. It's a challenge to let your life become thanksgiving, to take the leap of faith that puts your whole life in God's hands. Even when the fight is perilous, the night is dark, and it seems like life in God's hands ought to be safer and more comfortable than this. That's the thanks that God wants from us. The response of our lives that almost has to shout, I trust you, so that it can be heard above the exploding bombs. The response that continues to proclaim God is good, even while dodging bullets and hiding in foxholes. The life that continues to give in love, even when the only response seems to be enemy fire. Thanksgiving in the darkness, I think, is Thanksgiving at its best. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Music